The soul of summer in Columbus. The long weekends, the return of festivals, the connection with friends on a rooftop under the stars. The just five more minutes while on an adventure with your tiny travelers. Long live summer and the exploration of Columbus's neighborhoods. Discover itineraries from your favorite Columbus residents like Jenny Britton and Coyote Peterson and learn how to make this summer one to remember. Plan every detail every minute of summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash liveforward. White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made him 100 years ago, with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. Welcome back to another week of the Razball Prospect Podcast. This is your host, as always, Ralph Lifshitz at Prospect Jesus on Twitter. I am here with my prospect love. That would be Lance <laughs> Brozdowski. Uh, we had another scouting date this week. Lance, welcome we to the show. You can oh, find yeah. him at Lance Braz on Twitter. Brozdow. Brozdow. It's really confusing. I botched it. I botched it. It's all right. It makes it makes for 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 funnies, you know. Oh, look at look at Ralph. He's a dummy. But Lance, (laughs) we had another scouting date. I I I have to say it was uh, it was wonderful and and totally disappointing all at the same time. I got to the game ten minutes late. Of course, uh, this was in Hartford, New Hampshire. Was the visiting team, and uh, Vlad hits third. So I. Totally missed his first inning homer by about <laughs> three minutes. Probably like three, three minutes, minutes, yeah. I was That's I was enough. on the street. I was on the street looking at the stadium when the homer got hit, and I was like, I hope that's not what I think it is. And you texted me, and I'm like, you know, Lance is way too sincere to ever send me this as a joke just to bust my chops. I know that's not the case. <laughs> I know that this is 100% you know me serious. Too well. Unfortunately, so I missed a homer, but I got to see, you know, obviously uh, several more at bats from Vlad. Uh, got to see Brandon Rogers, one of the, the final games, I think, for for Garrett Hampson, who I think we'll talk about in a little bit uh, before he got called up at AAA Albuquerque, which is pretty interesting as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Bichette, Biggio, Bichette hit a ball that should, you know probably would have been a homer in a, a few minor league parks, just bounced off like the top of the wall, just missed a homer by inches. And, uh, you know, he's an exciting guy as well. And man, does he take some serious, serious swings, but Lance, what are your thoughts? Anything you wanted to add from the game? You got a wonderful video, by the way, of, uh, Vlad's Homer. 
I did, yeah, which 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 did really well on Twitter, which was really nice. And then Scott Green, a buddy of ours, got a video the next day when they had a 10.35 a.m. game and Vlad went four for five. It seems like we always miss Vlad's unbelievable game. Like, we get some games. I was really happy we saw I saw this homer. I was bummed you missed the homer. But it was uh, it was one of those things, like, when I saw the matchup and I, I looked at the scouting report for that kid, Winkop. I think I don't remember, even remember his first name, Winkop from the Yard Goats. He's, like, a soft-tossing lefty. He had, like, high 80s sink and then a, a low 70s curve, and I was just like, oh, man, someone's going yard here. <laughs> and they left him in for, like, five innings. He got a couple at-bats against Vlad, but he just stuck his bat out and put it into, like, right center pretty deep. It was a it was a pretty good piece, but that, that video did well. The lighting on it was really annoying. Like, I took it, and I was like, oh, my God, he just hit a home run. And then I, I went back and watched, and I looked, and I was just like, oh, look at the lighting because it's – for yeah. some reason on my phone, and I think this kind of is the same for you on the Pierce Cup, I, it's just – at night, it's for some reason just looks better. And when during the day, it's always like trying to adjust the lightings. I'm using like an iPhone. Yeah. It's like, huh. Wish yeah. I had like a nice camera, but it was still a good time. Scouting dates are always fun with you, Ralph. It was it was good, man. We got at least one more coming up when when Soto comes at the end of the month. So that's going to be uh, that's going to be an interesting one as well. Hey, we got some big news in the prospect world because I want to move along here. We have the five by five to get through. We're doing the MLB draft today. I know I didn't tease it enough on the beginning of the show. Talk about Barry in the lead, but we're going to go through <laughs> uh, hitters today. So we're going to do high school hitters as well as college hitters. We're going to break it up this year into sort of uh, you know hitters, and then we'll do pitchers next week, and maybe we'll do some combined stuff leading up to the draft and then following the draft because I think probably a bigger story with a lot of these kids is who takes them, where do they go. And uh, that has a big part in their development. I know we talked about that going back to a, a funny driveline e- email that co- sort of made its yeah. way, the, made the rounds when it was ranking up some of the systems. Uh, but Austin Meadows, this is the exciting news. Austin Meadows was called up uh, to the major leagues. Finally, feels like a year later than a lot of us thought he would be. Um, he, he hasn't been poor. He hasn't been bad at AAA. Uh, he's just been uh, uninspiring, I guess, is probably the best way to put it. There's nothing there uh, that, you know, gets you real excited. There's 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 none of that that sort of five tool, or at least from a fantasy perspective, five category sort of potential. It, it flashes itself, but the power's not there as much, and the speed isn't, you know, 30 steel speed or anything like that. So, I don't know, Lance, what do you think? I, I'm I'm very sort of guarded about this. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not that excited to be quite honest with you. Yeah, I think it's pretty funny because I remember last year there was some rumors after that Marte suspension. I believe sure. that Austin Meadows was going to come up, and then everyone was a little more buzzy about that because he 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 was a high school bat. He was drafted pretty high, and everyone I think always held him in in high regard for a while. But you know, his average up is up to two eighty one. He's not really walking a lot. The K's are relatively mundane too. And mm-hmm. I was just looking at his game log a couple minutes ago. He he strung together a six game hit streak, so it seems like maybe there was some kind of something clicked in these last six games, and then they were comfortable bringing him up. But prior to that, he was like 0 for 18. So sure. I guess you roll with the punches there. I mean, yeah, you got to be guarded in terms of where you're adding him. Deep leagues, 15 plus. You know, I, I give him a shot. Why not? I'm not really sure what he's going to play, etc. We'll see what they do in the outfield there with the Pirates. But um, obviously, if you're if you're in a dynasty league, he's likely owned. And if you invested in him, then you know you're going to look at these at bats. I'm really interested to see. I know there was an adjustment a while ago with his hands that not a lot of people liked. I'm sure that me and Ralph talked about that a lot. And I'm interested to see at the major league level if, if it's adjusted at all or if you know if something happened. I, I, again, I'm guarded with it too. I agree with you, Ralph. Yeah. So anybody else you wanted to bring up? I was going to say we have so much to get through tonight. Why don't yeah. we sort of Let's keep going jump the into five the five by five? Yeah. Why don't you start us off with your uh, your number one? Yeah, absolutely. You just kind of alluded him, actually alluded to him in the intro there. It's Garrett Hampson of, of the Argos, who we saw a couple times this year. Um, 
he was an interesting guy. I think when we first went out there and saw the Fisher Cats versus the Yard Goats, he wasn't a guy that we were targeting, so so to speak. I think he was one of maybe one of those periphery guys because we had Boba Shet, we had Vlad, we had Brendan Rodgers, even like Sam Hilliard really impressed in that first weekend we saw. And Hampson kind of fell under the radar. And then the next thing you know, you turn around and, and Hampson's batting first in this order in, out in Hartford. You know, he almost be, he's become the focal point. He's batting about right around 300. The most impressive thing that it was that he was 19 for 20 and stolen bases in Hartford. Obviously, he's promoted now to Albuquerque. He's kind of like a speedy first, second baseman, but I think there's a little bit of interesting pop there. He's got a pretty big leg kick, a little bit of an open stance that he closes off with that leg kick, gets to do his hips pretty nicely, and I could see him kind of sneaking into like 15 homer pop, which is probably something that I don't think a lot of people projected out, but when you add cores and you add the fact that he's into this leg more, he's got the leg kick going, and there's been some improvements this year in terms of his discipline. He flipped his, his basically flipped his strike on walk rate. He was around 13% and I think 9%, and now that's reversed. So now he's walking 13% of the time. He's only striking out about 10% of the time. I'll be interested to see how it plays up in Albuquerque. But I want to pass it back to you quickly, Ralph. I'm most interested in terms of development on the Rodgers end. Actually, this, this is the point that I wanted to bring up because... I think long term, and I've always I've always kind of stood in this hill that Rogers is a second baseman for me, and I'm interested. Sure. We saw him when we were out on the scouting date. We uh, we saw Rogers playing third, and um, his arm looked pretty good. I think he did throw a ball a little bit high and pulled the first baseman off the bag. I don't know if that went as an error, but it was a missed throw by him. But the fact that they're promoting Hampson to Albuquerque makes me think that that obviously Hampson is now closer to the major league level, unless it was just kind of a logistical move that I don't really understand in terms of their roster movement. Obviously not the biggest Rocky fan. I, I, we, we follow the system, but I'm not a beat reporter guru. Yeah, so, sure, um, of course. In terms of, in terms of Rogers' development here, I'm interested to see maybe if they almost see Hampson as a long-term second baseman, and then it, it, do you think Rogers sticks on the left side of the infield with this move here, or is this just more logistics? I, you know, I, I think uh, I think it's interesting to, to to talk about for sure, but I don't even think we know yet. Um, yeah, we don't. There don't are so a either. lot of questions with Rogers. I think just it, being an everyday shortstop, and then we'll see how it plays at third base. I, I think the arm is good. I think the issue with Rogers is he's just uh, he's not rangy. Like he's he's pretty limited in terms of you know how much range he has over at shortstop. Not that he's a, he's a poor defender. I, I I've never thought he was a bad defender. But I, I think he's just sort of mediocre with the glove, right? Just in terms of the overall package. Would you agree with that? I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. I, I've never been impressed by him. But I think it'll play up. I think he's average at second base just based on the range that he ha- does yeah. have. And with exactly. shifting now, second baseman are playing back a little more. He has probably the range to adjust to that. But I agree with you. Yeah, he's not a gold glove second baseman. But I think he, you know, he's athletic enough that he'll trans- the position will translate well there. Now, I think that... They're trying third base now. It's the first time we we had seen him at least play third base, and I didn't look at his sort of his game log, so I don't know how many times he's played third now this year or even last year. Um, but I'm guessing they're trying to make the most of the arm that's there. He does have some arm strength. He does get some serious zip on the ball when he plants his feet and doesn't make a bad throw. Um, but he is prone to some rushing some throws, making some mistakes. That's an issue, particularly at third base, where I always feel like you know much more of it is is sort of controlled and it's like setting your feet and sort of planting and making a strong throw across the diamond when, you know, there's a lot more athletic throws that need to be made at shortstop. So maybe he, he sort of learns that and can settle in there, but I don't know if you realize this, he'd be a little bit blocked at third base. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Nolan Arenado, I think his name is. Yeah. I think, I think there's a guy there that has that job. So ultimately I think that pushes him to second base. I've felt for a long time he's going to be a second baseman. It's a really long-winded way to say that I agree with you. Um, but, I, <laughs> but I just think, you know, with the amount of looks that we've gotten on Rodgers now for a couple of years, I think between the two of us, we both have a lot of thoughts on it. And uh, I think Hampson, too, a little bit older, if I'm not mistaken, by a couple of years, right? Check. 
I can check. Um, yeah, just double checking that. I think it's two years, but you know, I think older guy, he's a little bit more polished in terms of approach. And I think he's a lot closer to being the player that Garrett Hampson is ultimately going to end up being. I think he could play at the major league level now and be successful. Takes really good. You know, he grinds out at bats. Um, you know, and I always felt like he was a guy from what I've, I've observed that sort of takes what the pitcher gives you, you know, he's not trying to hit every ball out of the park. Um, you know, who go the opposite way. If, if, you know, if that's what he's getting, uh, he, he tended to lay off bad breaking stuff from, from what he'd seen and never saw too many bad swings from Hampson. They were always really good professional at bats. He's got the speed and, you know, he's got some flexibility in terms of he can play in several different places in the infield. So I'm, I'm all in on, on Hampson. I actually think that he's a guy that could potentially have some, some, uh, redraft relevancy problem is it's the Rockies once again. And I really do not know if there's any opportunity for him on a, on a day-to-day basis, just because we know how they are about their prospects. I mean, Ryan McMahon is just like in purgatory. <laughs> <laughs> Dahl's not even playing a lot either. Yeah, that's unfortunate. That's mm, tough. Give us your number one on this five by five here, Ralph. Sure. So this is a guy that was mentioned to me on our scouting date by, uh, by Paul Martin, who also came along. He tagged along and, uh, I don't know if he tagged along. He joined us, right? Yeah, he joined yeah. us and he did equal <laughs> here. I shouldn't be tagged along. Like he's like, he's a puppy dog. I mean, come on. He's Paul. He's Paul the Martin. He's a great guy, you know, good baseball mind and a radical writer as, as well as several other sites. You should check all the stuff that Paul's doing, but Jose Rojas, who is a 25 year old, I guess first baseman, third baseman uh, at the at the double A level for the Angels. A guy that's totally out of nowhere. This guy was a 36th round pick back in 2016 out of an NAIA school, uh, Vanguard in California. I think he spent some time at uh, like Fullerton State or something like that, which is a, a JUCO school for a couple of years before that. So he sort of bounced around. Was definitely not a traditional sort of path uh, into professional baseball. He actually grew up right down the road. Uh, from Angel Stadium, so he's a local kid as well. And you know, since he's come into professional baseball, he's hit pretty well. Uh, he was an All-Star last year in the Cal League. Um, actually, uh, uh, I think was a runner-up in their uh, their home run derby last year as well. Um, but he was promoted to Double A. Struggled a bit in the promotion. Like I said, he's in the older end. He's 24 last year. He's uh, turned 25 at the end of February. So, like I said, he is a little bit older, but he is killing double a right now. Uh, he hit for the cycle last week. And the biggest thing that I noticed, and this is one of the things that, that Paul had sort of mentioned to me is he's got an insane walk rate. And this is a guy that was like a 5.8%, uh, you know, walk rate guy through like his first 187, 189, I forget the exact number, uh, professional games. And now here he is with a 17.3, excuse me, 17.3% walk rate, a really interesting, interesting swing. It's, it's a little bit stiff, very front foot heavy. I feel like all of his weight sort of transfers to his front foot, but he's got a quick bat from the left side, nice uppercut stroke. I think there's something here. You know, this is a guy that's already exceeded expectations uh, to a tremendous level. I mean, 36 round picks. You don't even hear about these guys typically like having professional careers. He's like a guy that you meet in your office that sells insurance. That's so like, yeah, I played college <laughs> baseball and I was drafted in the 36 round. Like I went to high school and played baseball with guys that were drafted in the 36 round. I'm, I'm serious. Um, this kid, Justin Lombardi, I, I played, I played baseball with, but, uh, <laughs> he ended up going to Alabama and he blew his arm out and, and washed out and went to Clemson and a couple other schools, but they yeah, look it up. Um, but anyway, <laughs> Jose Rojas, I don't know if you got an opportunity to take a look at him. Not a big guy, but he's 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 relatively strong. And I'll just give you the the, the slash line for the year. He's hitting uh, 380, 482, 
and uh, slugging 606. Like I said, that's with uh, with double A Mobile Bay Bears down in the Southern League. So did you get a look at him, Lance? I did not, actually, but I did hear over here you and Paul kind of chatting about him. Um, I will have to dig into that. I, I see you having your notes here. He's got like a heavy, heavy uppercut in his swing, and he's front foot heavy. So I'm interested to see on the scouting side of things, you know, what someone thinks of that swing and if there are holes in it, even though um, even though he's walking at an insane clip. But, that, yeah, that walk jump is super interesting. I, I feel like you rarely see that. Like, I don't know if the hitting coach is just like, hey, don't swing until it's like you get two strikes or something, you know, and then he's just got a really good approach. I don't know. Yeah. It could be a, a slew of things. But I, I honestly have not looked into him a lot, so this is a new name for me too. Yeah, and it's at the double-A level, so it's one of those things yeah. that, like, you can't totally dismiss it. And, you know, he was he was drafted old. I mean, he was you know he was 23 years old when he was drafted and came in mm. professional baseball, which is relatively old. He's only had one full season. He touched Double A. This is his, you know opportunity to repeat in the level. And I think as we would both agree, once guys get to Double A, that's where the rubber meets the road. You start to see a lot better Big pitching. Yep. You know, you see the better talent level as well. And every team has two or three of the best guys probably in the system. Uh, some of the more ready-made guys as well. And you get some of those retreads as well that maybe, you know, are, are on the downside of their career. Um, but you don't get as many of those guys as you would get necessarily in, in AAA. So I think it's indicative of there's something here. I think this guy ha- has a potential major league future. I mean, I'm not going to start throwing him into like, you know, the top 100 prospects or anything like that. Um, but if he keeps this up, he is really interesting and it's it's you know it wouldn't be the first time that some of these guys really do come off of uh you know absolutely out of the dark you know that's one of the fun mm-hmm. things about baseball uh and all that sort of thing so who's your number two i'm gonna stop stop running my yeah, mouth no jose ross my, my number two should be a relatively f- familiar name in tuki tucson and i feel like we're going along the theme of, of the college here as we'll get into that in a little bit later in the show but uh but Tukey, um is sitting in double-A with the Braves. He repeated this level, obviously, from last year. He's over kind of the threshold of innings that he was last year. I think he was 39 last year. He's just over 40 right now. So it's always nice. I, I like hitting that in terms of the baseline just to compare samples. And, you know, the walk the, the walk rate is still a concern, which is obviously the issue that's always been the problem for him. It's sitting right around, I think, 10 to 13%. And his, his walk per nine is like a 4, 4, 5, which is not really too appealing. And it's something that's probably going to kick up if he ever gets to the major league level. And I know there's been some kick around in terms of him end up being a reliever long term. But I, I have a weird thing where I always have kind of liked Tukey just because he, he tends to grade out on the scouting side of things with 360 pitches. So he's got the fastball curveball change. And you, you almost consensus always hear those as 60 grade pitches. And it's just a matter of the command, which sits below average around, if you want to throw in the grading scale, I've seen around 40, maybe 45 if you're lucky, but it's not even at 50 yet. And I think that the future max is 50. So at best, he turns into like a, a 3.5 block per nine guy, which really limits his, his upside. But the strikeouts have always been there. And, um, uh, that's up about 4% this year, year over year. So I like seeing that. He's up to, I think, around the Caper 9s, right around 11.5 right now. And uh, I wonder if that's just maybe a comfortability thing. doesn't seem like it's too much of a command thing. I don't think the commands falter too much. But um, it, it's still good to know that two keys pitches are playing up at this level. And I think he has a major league future regardless of, of how high that ceiling is for him. But I enjoy Tuki Toussaint. I was kind of like checking in with him and seeing how he's doing. And uh, he was a guy who was touted last year as having one of the best pitches in the draft in terms of that curve. Um, or two years ago, excuse me, or more than two years ago. Actually, Three. a while ago now. Three, Three yeah, yeah, wow. I'm meshing all my years together. But uh, We're getting old, Lance. <laughs> we're getting old. <laughs> but I always <laughs> like keeping an eye on, on Tuki, and he seems to be pitching relatively well. Um, any thoughts on Tuki, or do you want to jump into your number two, Ralph? Yeah, he's always been a really interesting guy. I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head there. You know, he's always had the the, the two to three 
you know, plus pitches, probably three plus pitches, just a matter of him sort of continuing to hone that and get that command, you know, even to sort of an average level, I think everything will play up. It's good to see that he's had some success now uh, starting, you know, at the double A level. He's not that far off. I know a lot of people thought he was going to end up sort of in the bullpen long term. So I don't know if that future is necessarily set in stone, but it's good to see him starting. And uh, he's another exciting Braves arm in the system. I want to jump over to my number two, uh, who's an outfielder in the Astro system, who is uh, setting the base paths of the minor leagues on fire. Uh, that'd be Miles Straw, who is a outfielder for double uh, A Corpus Christi in the Astro system. As of uh, recording this, he's slashing 358, 451, 431. So you know he's got absolutely no power, but he's a good on base contact guy, has a really nice sort of on, uh, inside out swing, sort of peppers the ball into right field consistently, um, you know, can lay down a bunt. But the big thing is the speed 23 or 27 uh, on the base paths. He can get on base, like I said, he walks at a high clip, gets, you know, the bat and the ball uses his wheels, and he can play all three outfield positions. He's got an absolute gun for an arm, so he's not going to be limited in terms of, uh, you know, right field. I think he's a, a perfect fourth outfielder, can sort of fit into that that Jared Dyson sort of role, uh, maybe with, you know, uh, pretty good defensive value just in terms of, um, you know, fitting into a, uh, you know, some of the corner spots because of how strong the arm is. So I know that's not necessarily a fantasy angle, but I think the defense matters for a guy like this because it's going to get him opportunities at the major league level. And he's not that far off. Um, not the most exciting guy, but I think he's a long-term sort of Sagnoff type. And uh, we see somebody that's that's uh, been um, promoted actually uh, by the Astros that's sort of similar from the sense of on-base contact and some speed, and that's Tony Kemp. They're different types of players, Strong and, and Kemp, uh, but both guys that can get on base and have some speed. And, uh, you know, the Astros love these these uh, sort of toolsy athletes, and they do a good job of sort of honing them into into pretty good hitters. And I know some of the reports I've read in Baseball America and some other places really talk about how strong Straw's work ethic is. Um, so there you go. I mean, any any thoughts on on Miles Straw other than he's a another guy with an, an awesome Y Miles spelling? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The other one was the, the Hartford guy, Miles, Miles Jones, right? Miles it was just M-Y-L-Z in Hartford. <laughs> He's M Y L Z. Z. No, no extra vowel there. But uh, yeah, Straw is a he's a speed guy. I'm interested to see honestly with the Astros in terms of their use on players. I I feel like he might be able to find a role long term. Yeah. You know if they actually um if they value that speed side of things a little bit more. But uh yeah, twenty. What do you say? Twenty three for twenty seven is pretty solid. Yeah, twenty three for twenty seven. Yeah. Damn, that's pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, I'll jump into my. I'm gonna combo up my three and four here, and the and the consciousness of time here. I'm gonna go with two twins minor league bats that I know a lot of people know: Alex Kriloff and um, Brent Rooker. And both of them are, are starting to kind of get their steam going. I'll start with Rooker. Um, 11 home runs in 40 games last year was the big thing, and he was out of Mississippi State. He's a big power bat. Everyone saw that immediately. In a row, I think it was in. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. It was in Florida State League. Um, Ralph, I'm it was in the Florida year. State League, Might yes. have been and that's a tough league to play that wise. The Fort Myers Miracle. Yeah, yep, there it is, there it is. And I, I, I mean, regardless of whatever level and park you're in, 11 home runs in 40 games is relatively impressive. And everyone, <laughs> I think, picked up a ton of helium with him and started putting him in the back half, top 100s. And then he started off this year and he got a little bit slow. But I think in the last six games or so, I was just looking. He's got three home runs and he's got 12 of his 19 RBIs on the season. Seems to be kind of finding his groove here. 
Um, he was one of those guys with a college bat, and obviously he's up now in double-A too, so that's another thing. It might have just been a level adjustment for him. But I like the fact that he made this jump. He's maintained that strikeout rate still pretty high in the high 20s, around 28%, and the walk rate kind of went down a little bit too, which I'm a little bit concerned about. I'd like to see him walking out like that 7% clip just to keep him passable. If that falls below that, then he kind of turns kind of turns into almost like a Jonathan Scopey kind of guy where sure. he's not walking enough to, to – you start to get a little bit concerned around that profile, and if it hits rough stretches, if he's not walking, then you know the team might start to platoon him. But again, advanced college bat the average is still low the full season line's low but in the last couple games he's starting to heat back up and i'm i'm interested in keeping an eye on him just because i think that proximity to the major leagues being the age of 23 for him can kind of creep up and you could start to see him and they might be able to find him a role at the major league level a little bit further off is krilloff who had tommy john last year obviously and um this is our kind of first looks at him and he's already got six home runs he's down in a ball obviously a little bit lower of a level he's striking out at the 20 percent clip with around seven percent walk rate and I think that's probably where he ends up longer term. Obviously, that strike rate is probably going to kick up a little bit. I think he is a little bit younger. He's Yeah, he's only 20 year old, 20 years old, where Rooker's 23. But um, he's maintained that slash line. Really, really nice slash line. 300 or 305, 353 on the on base, and then 594 on the slug here. So he's got six home runs, and I think he's got about 13 doubles. So he's starting to rake a little bit. This is a really nice inside-out kind of swing. A little bit of pull power for him. Um, whereas Rooker kind of goes more toe tap and is a little bit more kind of sell out for power. But Kroloff's got a really, really good approach. I think he can end up being a high average guy long term. I know this is a guy that a lot of people had right in that kind of fringy top 100 range. I just wanted to see him after he came back from this injury, obviously. Um, not as concerning for Tommy John side, uh, for, for precision players as it is for hitters. Um, I believe he could stick in right field long term. I think the arm's pretty good for him. So um, that might be the, the long term destination. I know that the. That he almost resembles kind of like a Max Kepler kind of guy, who's is who I kept thinking of. Maybe a better average than Kepler. Um, but uh but Kroloff's interesting. I think these are these are kind of two twins guys that make up a relatively stacked system. And I know we were talking a little bit about around scouting data about the Royals and how good that system is. And I think you're starting to get some steam around this AL Central. And I know the Royals have a ton of money in the draft this year too, and you're get that that system is only gonna get better. And um you're looking at, I mean I I wouldn't say the Tigers' system's too too strengthened. Uh, they got some nice pitchers there with Fayetto and Manning and Burroughs and stuff. But uh, but Twins and Royals, you know, I think longer term, I, I, that division's been an absolute crap show this year. I think the team in first place is just over five hundred in terms of the AL Central. But longer term, I think that it's looking up in terms of the guys we have pieces that some of these teams have and the Twins with the forefront with Croft and Rutgers. Pretty interesting to me. How about uh, your thoughts on either, Ralph? I know we've kind of talked about them in the past. Yeah, I think, I think you know, once again, I don't think I need to even jump in there at all. And I do want to make sure that we spend uh, significant time talking about some of these draft guys as we introduce them. But it's good to yeah. see some signs of life out of Rooker. I'm pretty concerned. And, uh, you know, I think I was cautious with – I was aggressive with ranking him, but but still cautious. He wasn't getting inside, inside the top 50. And I think um, some people were probably – some people were pushing for that, I think, a little bit, just because of the type I of player so. that he yeah. was. Uh, I've always liked Kirilov. I haven't written him off at all, even when he was injured. You know, I, I sort of had him lurking outside of the top 100, and he's sort of back into that top 100 area. And uh, Rooker, for me, you know, if he's got to get it going, as you said, I think he's really got to be able to get on base. He's got to cut down on the strikeouts, especially if he's going to survive as the type of hitter that he is. Uh, we've seen this before. We've been fooled before with with big numbers. Of course, that was at, at double-A, too, with, with A.J. Reed. Some of these advanced, uh, you know, SEC and ACC kids that come in 
and uh, you know show well at the lower A ball level. We have to be a little bit more cautious, I think, sometimes with ranking those guys. But Kirilov, to me, uh, you know, of the two, is is the far more interesting prospect. But but you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna combo up a little bit as well. Uh, as you said, sure. you know, we want to make sure that we can serve some time here. And I have uh, I guess three power speed guys that we can sort of all combo up that are in very different places at the moment. Uh, one is my number three, Jose Siri of the Reds. Uh, he's returning. Uh, came back late last week, picking up right where he left off last year uh, when he was in low A Daytona, he, uh, uh, or Dayton, excuse me. He's been uh, promoted. I think he's in, in high A. Uh, uh, oh, it's not Pensacola. That's double A for them. It's uh, it's actually Daytona, isn't it? It's Dayton and Daytona. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as funny the as that Tortugas, is. right? Yes, it is. And uh, through his first six games, uh, series eight for 25 with a homer, a steal, only problem, nine Ks, zero walks. But that is the package that you get with Jose Siri. He has, uh, you know, plus power. He has plus speed, maybe plus plus speed, actually. You know, he could put the bat in the ball. He had that really long hit streak last year. Um, but, you know, he's a contact, put the ball in play, you know, swing from his shoes kind of guy. He's going to strike out. He's not going to walk a lot. That's going to limit his upside somewhat with that speed. But he's a guy that's still interesting. He's a flawed player. But he's a guy that could have some value uh, in redraft leagues, you know, in probably two years. He's got some some progress to go. He's got some hurdles to overcome. He's got to hit that double A level and continue to do what he's done. But it's a it's nice to see him come back from I think it was a hand injury and, uh, you know, sort of pick up where he's left off. Next guy I wanted to move on to was uh, Jorge Mateo of the athletics. Obviously, he was one of the top pieces uh, in the Sonny Gray deal. Uh, that sent him obviously to the Yankees. Mateo has always been really interesting, and he really came on last year upon promotion to Double A Trenton within the Yankee system. Uh, you know, then was was traded to the Athletics. Continued to hit there. So far, it's really really bad at the Triple A level for Mateo. Slashing two hundred six, two forty three, three thirty one, and he's looked bad. If you've watched some of these at bats, they're really ugly. He's striking out a ton. He's getting caught a ton more than he usually was. He's, he's only stealing bases at like a sixty six percent clip. He's striking out thirty percent of the time. The walk rate, which was up to a pretty acceptable level last year, is way down to four point eight percent. Below six percent is terrible. Below five percent is absolutely like puke emoji. So that's sort of where you're at with Mateo. <laughs> He's showing some signs of life right now, a little bit, but um, you know, even then, you know, his his on base percentage right now over the last ten games is two eighty six. He's had a couple of good games where I think he had some hits, a couple of doubles, but he's not doing much. It's uh, it's pretty disheartening. Now I'm gonna leave you with some good news before we move on to let Lance <laughs> sort of drop any of his thoughts like uh, sprinkles on the top of the Sunday here on any of these players. But Corey Ray is back from the dead. Seriously yeah. back from the dead. He's now hitting 269. So the average is never going to be good with this guy. He's always going to strike out a little bit, takes a lot of walks at, at times. He can be a little bit too patient, take a few mini balls sort of on the black, but uh, that's all right. Cause he walks and he, and he steals bases and he does hit for some power 269, 349, 483. He's got five homers. He's a perfect seven for seven in the stolen base category. Tuesday night uh, was sort of the culmination. I said this in my article of his resurgence. Uh, he went four for five with two homers, three RBIs, and three runs. 
Corey Ray's doing this at at Double A, um, and and I know that uh, historically. Um, their double-A park in Biloxi is very difficult to hit at. They've had a lot of hitters that struggle there and a lot of pitchers that do very well there. So the fact that he's hitting so well and the numbers across the board, the patience is there. He's he's not getting caught on the bases now that he's been challenged at the upper level. I think it's really good because this kid has been through hell. He looked like crap at the Arizona Fall League. And here we are. Corey Ray is back into relevance. If you find him there on your waiver wire, even in a 12-team league, I think I would grab him and take a flyer on him and, you know, worst case scenario, if he stinks in a month and a half, you can drop him and move on to whoever the next flavor of the month is. But I think Ray is definitely uh, back on, on on the radar for me. I don't know about you. What do you think, Lance, about any of these power speed guys, the good, the bad, and the injured? Yeah, the good, the bad, and the injured. That's a good one. You no, know, I think that you bring up three guys who are pretty applicable here in terms of being owned probably in nearly every league. And and obviously, people listening are probably going to want to know the update on him. But series interesting. The the walks are always a huge concern with him. But from what I understand, he's pretty good in the outfield too. Yeah, he's uh, excellent. It, he's outfield. one of those guys. He almost reminds me of like a Keon Keon Broxton-y kind of guy. Where it might be tough to, tough to find him playing time. But uh, if he's if he's putting up the numbers like he's putting up in in redrafted roto, like where he's able to kind of hit five home runs in a month and also steal eight bags. Like you start to get a lot more intriguing with him, even, even with all the strikeouts and Mateo, it's tough to see. I wonder, I think he's had some cold stretches in the past. I'm not really sure yeah. if this just is another one of those blips. Usually you don't see too much um, from double A AA to triple A. That jump doesn't really uh, result in too much of a, no. a big discrepancy. And that's no. kind of odd. It's happening with Mateo. I wonder if it's just a slow start. Um, maybe there's something nagging him injury-wise. The, the average is just low. There's not much power, which is relatively concerning because I know he made some adjustments to bring it's up the PCL, power. and it's the PCL. Yeah, it's weird. You know, I, I wonder if he's nursing an injury. I, I just, it I don't, I don't like assuming it, injury, it just, but it's not. Great. It'd be a better explanation. Yeah, exactly. It's and not then, great. And Corey and Corey Ray out of nowhere is, is really really interesting. Braun with the hits the DL from what I was here is going to hit the DL most likely to do that. Is obviously not going to get called up, but I mean. Um, that outfield in, in Milwaukee is interesting with Yelich and Kane, obviously. But Domingo Santana's role probably a little more of a flux. They're obviously probably going to give a guy like Brett Phillips a shot over Corey Ray. But you never know. If they call Brett Phillips or something like that, maybe Ray jumps to AAA and they give him a couple looks. So I'll be interested with that as well. My last guy I'll touch very, very quickly is Iniel De Los Santos, actually. I believe he came over to the Phillies in the Freddie Galvis deal. He did. And uh, he's been really, really good in AAA, Lehigh Valley. 1.41 ERA with a 3 FIP. So, obviously, a little bit pitching a little bit out of his, out of his peripherals right now. But uh, and he's he, but he's been really consistent, too. He had one five-walk game, which I think is skewing up um, a little bit of the walks that year-over-year um, year for him when you're looking at that kind of the differentials. But he's maintained, like, between five and eight strikeouts to start. He's really relatively consistent. He's going five to six innings, too. Um, really quiet delivery. I didn't really see too much there in terms of like anything that jumped out as, as far as being a red flag or anything that jumped out in terms of being like super super clean he's relatively loose i'm interested to see in terms of where the upside is i don't know if he fits in as more of like a four four ish as opposed to having the upside maybe of a three two a starter in a rotation but um it seems like there's some floor here the phillies obviously are a team that likes kind of shifting between lehigh and uh, philadelphia in terms of like guys like zach efflin jake thompson they've had a ton of guys come in and out of the mike Lair jr so there's a lot of they like ben using these stars and Ben Lively's another one. They've had a Pavetta was one, and then he's he's obviously maintained sure. a, a pretty solid role this oh, year. Yeah. But, uh, I'd say but so. I'm interested to keep an eye on on, on Santos um, here and see how he does longer term with the Phillies. But um, I think we that was a pretty quick, pretty quick uh, five by five there, Ralph. I think it's pretty good, efficient in terms of timing. Yeah, it's about a, an hour to talk about Rotoware, right? Yeah, I would, I would, I would, I, 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to talk about RotoWare. And if you don't know by now, they put my face in a T-shirt. I said this last week. Uh, go check out the Prospect Jesus shirt. They got the the Mauler emoji shirt, which is an inside crab army shirt. You'd be the coolest kid in your block if you have the Mauler emoji shirt. I'm not even kidding. And then you should grab a Prospect Jesus. Then you should grab a gray Tout Wars champ shirt. He's got a Justin Mason shirt that's pretty funny. I love that one as well. Plus, he's got all these other cool designs he's been putting out over on RotoWare Classic. So check that stuff out. But as always, you have to go to RotoWare.com. Check out the the main line, the top of the line stuff. That's the RotoWare brand. That's where he's got all the really fantasy specific shirts. That's where he's got the Prospect Stasher shirt. That's where he's got the 80 grade shirt with the bats tallies. I had that on the other night when we went to see Vlad. I had my 80 grade shirt just for Vladdy. I know I'm looking right now at Lance on the screen. He's got the process over results shirt. There are so many shirts. We could sit here for 20 minutes and just name shirts. So what I'm going to tell you to do, go to rotoware.com, follow them at rotoware on Twitter, follow Kenneth Cashman, the man behind the designs, the man behind rotoware at Kenneth underscore Cashman, but go to rotoware.com. Take a picture of all the shirts that you're buying. Use the promo code SAGNOP to get 20% off your deal, and Lance will like your, your tweet. Yes, I will do that. I will do nothing <laughs> more than like it and appreciate you for, even, for supporting Kenny and his creativity. I just like it. Nah, I'm just going to like it. <laughs> Maybe respond if I'm feeling it. But no, absolutely. He's had some awesome, awesome shirts, too, come out that he's doing like right around current events that are happening, obviously, in sports and stuff like that. He did some stuff for the NFL Draft, did some stuff for Josh Hader, James Paxson's No-No. He's doing this under the Rotoware Classic kind of brand, and that's been direct through Amazon, I believe. So obviously, Amazon, you type in Rotoware, you get a bunch. You get like five to six pages of shirts, and all of them are awesome. And I, I've yet to kind of decide which ones I'm going to buy. I'm hoping that someone on the Cardinals maybe throws a no-hitter and, I could, and he shoots one out like that. I could scoop up one of those. Or maybe Alex Reyes gets called up in the next couple months or whatever after he's activated and deals. And then Kenny obviously has to come out with some kind of Reyes shirt. But uh, but I'm, I honestly just love following him. As you said, Kenneth underscore Cashman on Twitter, RotoWare, RotoWare Classic as well um, on Twitter. Just I, I like seeing what he's coming up with. Honestly, he's a fun follow to see like – you know, you're scrolling through your Twitter feed one day and you notice that he's coming out with a new shirt and it's awesome. I really like how creative he is. And uh, it's obviously, obviously always been my my endorsement of Kenny. It's just he's an unbelievably creative guy. And I love RotoWare, man. I'm wearing a shirt right now. I got one over my shoulder. Not much more to say. We love him. That's right. Sagnoff, 20% off all Sagnoff. your purchases. All right. Let's jump into the MLB draft. I am really excited to jump into this with you, Lance, because I, I have to say you're you've been – up on this draft class and sort of studying these guys now for yeah. what seems like six to, to nine months, if I'm not mistaken, maybe it's <laughs> even more than that, but you were one of the first guys that was really talking to me about a lot of these guys. If I'm not mistaken, you saw quite a few of these, uh, uh, of these prospects on the Cape, at least for the, you know, the college bats, at least like Alex Baum and, and some of the other guys yep, will go over. Alex so Baum, I'm, yep. I'm interested to hear your firsthand looks, your thoughts. You're part of the collegiate scouting network. Uh, you know, I was talking to Justin, the CEO, last night in the baseball show. Go and check that out if you have not. Uh, thus far, that's over on Fan Tracks when I'm, I'm doing my stuff with Andy Singleton. Um, but it seems like you have a lot of information on this class. So I am going <laughs> to take a back seat. I'll, I'll certainly share my opinion on all these guys. I've dug in on it. I've taken some notes. I've sort of been digging into these guys now for two or three weeks, and I've been just sort of immersing myself in as much information as possible, thanks to Baseball America, thanks to um, yeah, you know Jason Woodell and all the folks that are out there, you know, 2080 scouting, everyone that's out there really you know uh, at the games and sharing really useful information on some of these draft prospects. So we're going to do the pitchers next week. This week we're going to do the MLB bats. Lance, I'm going to let you take it away. You sort of start off with who you want to talk about. Sure. 
um, and we'll go from there. Absolutely. Yeah, no, this has been a, a really fun draft. I think it's the one that I've tuned into most for a good amount of time. And I think the most interesting thing, honestly, to start off with is some of the stock changes that have happened. Because, you know, if you go back a couple months, Gorman, Nolan Gorman, he's a third baseman, high school bat, really, really big power. The hit tool probably isn't as good as some of these other guys in this draft, but he's been graded out of 70 power around that 40 hit. So a little bit below average on the hit, plus plus on the power. He's one of the bats that I, I think I enjoy most from an upside perspective because he gets a, a few Chris Bryant comps or Excuse me, that's Alec Boehm, actually. But the name of Chris Bryant gets tossed around because he's one of the, the few guys in the last couple of years to come out with legitimate, legitimate power and a decent enough hit tool to be passable to major league level. But but I, Gorman a couple months ago was the big name. He struggled a little bit in the spring. He, he does have the swing and miss concerns, as almost all these kind of big power bats are going to have. And to me, he jumps out as one of the guys on this first round, in the first round that's going to – in in real life when these guys actually get drafted and also eventually to your first-year player drafts in the first round. In terms of pure power that is present right now, I think Gorman has some of the best. And he's a guy that I, I – I watched, uh, I, I think I've recommended this probably multiple times for anyone, but on YouTube, there's the perfect game from last, last year out in San Diego. And uh, that's a really, really good look to get a look at any of the high school guys. A lot of them are, are in this draft, whether it be in the first round or later rounds. And Gorman took Mason Denenberg. Mason Denenberg is a 2A guy from, I believe, Florida area. He is injured right now. I think that he might actually go back to college, go back to Florida. So I have a feeling that he might fall a little bit in this draft. But super interesting arm, Denenberg. He threw like 96-95 right inside to Gorman, and Gorman's bat speed took over. And he absolutely launched a ball into right center in, in, uh, in Petco in San Diego. And for me, with Gorman, there's just certain swings guys have, and I'm sure you've noticed this too, Ralph, when you're looking at any prospect. This applies to any kind of prospect you're looking at, where they do something in a game and you just go, wow. And I was watching that game, and I've seen this highlight so many times, that was one of like the true wow moments I've had of this draft is watching Nolan Gorman take Denenberg deep in that perfect game last year. And obviously he's changed up a little bit since then. I heard that he actually thickened a little bit in the offseason, so yeah. maybe he's even worse on the speed side of things. The mobility might be going down a little bit, but from an arms perspective, I think that he could be an average fielder plus arms so he could stick at third base longer term. Um, maybe maybe eventually the destination for a lot of these guys is first base. He's not a plus-plus defender, so depends on kind of the team that drafts and the team that develops. And I believe in one of the most recent mocks I saw, he was going to the Braves around eight overall. And again, there's obviously risk in these high school bats, but I really like Gorman in terms of the power side. Um, but uh, that's Gorman. I know there's some other high school bats we'll kind of get into here, but I'll also kind of I'll bring up a couple other guys on the third base side of things, and we'll, we'll transition to one I know you like a bit, Jonathan India from Florida, Ralph. But I, I'll, I'll combo up all these third basemen here. We'll go with Alec Bohm. He's a guy who I saw on the Cape, and in terms of, again, cut, talking about these moments that kind of stand out to you, and I was at the Cape All-Star game. Bohm was hitting two or three in the lineup, I think, and he was the only individual, I believe, in that game to – hit a ball loud enough where everyone just immediately silenced. He took a, a high fastball. I think it was from a kid who is, I believe, injured right now. I think his last name is Montgomery. That name's escaping me. But um, but Bohm took with a wood bat, which is another big thing that I like seeing the power with. And sure. Gorman actually hit that home run in the perfect game with a wood bat too. And uh, it's one of those things where I, I just noticed Bohm. He's a really big guy. Um, I think there's some concerns around his defense again. So he's a guy I think might even move to first quicker than Gorman moves to first. But uh Super interesting with Alec Bohm. He's got legitimate hit and power, whereas Gorman's a little bit lower on the hit and higher on the power. I think you could grade out both Bohm's tools hit and power at the 60 level, so that's right above average. So super interesting. I really like Alec Bohm. Again, there's fielding concerns here, but um, 
He's excellent. He's had an unbelievable year discipline-wise, actually, at Wichita State University, too, with another team at his Grayson Janista, who's fallen a little bit in terms of uh, his draft stock. I think, actually, if you go back to, like, January, Grayson Janista was above Bohm for a while, and now they've kind of flipped where Janista's back half of the first round, and Bohm's kind of almost locked into this top five. Um, big fan of Bohm, big fan of Gorman. And then Jonathan India, I believe, Ralph, you like a lot. He's a guy from Florida. He's uh, uh, listed at 61205, which is not as tall as Bohm. I think Bohm's like 6'5, and I believe yeah. Gorman is a little bit. Or, no, Gorman's 61210. So uh, I guess he kind of comps body wise a little bit more to, to, um, to Gorman. But uh, Gorman's a lefty. Alec Bohm's a righty. Jonathan India's a righty. So kind of lefty righty mix up there, obviously. But, uh, but India's got a, a really compact swing. He's been in college for a bit. Again, he's one of these polished college bats. Um, nice little leg kick, really compact power. And um, he kind of grades out around that, again, that 50 to 60 overall. I've seen some varying grades on his hit power and run. He's a guy who's a little bit more mobile than Bohm and Gorman, too. So um, um, those are kind of the three third basemen that I, I can tend to have my eye on. I wouldn't consider them the top three prospects in the draft. I think that they're in the mix of it. I think Bohm is a guy who you're going to see go in a lot of first-year player drafts top three just because of the baddest present. And I think there's some good future growth for him depending on the organization he goes to. But Gorman is kind of like my high upside guy. If you asked me to rank these guys about two months ago, I would have gone Gorman one overall in the entire draft and for first-year player drafts too. I, I really, really was into that power. Again, I mentioned he thickened out a little bit. There's obviously holes in the swing. There's some concerns around him overall in the profile, but I still think he's going to go probably in the top 10 to 12 window. Um, I'll pass it back to you, Ralph. Um, Jonathan Indian, I know is a guy you like a lot. Talk a little bit about why you like him and and uh, what you see kind of longer term in terms of projecting him out. Yeah, I just love the the super violent, quick right-handed swing. I mean, when you when you watch it, and he's got excellent sort of weight transfer as well, but he swings like from uh, he swings that bat like his his bat speed is just absolutely insane. Uh, he is a little bit a little bit stiff, I think body wise. Uh, he's definitely better than Gorman, who's definitely husky. Where I think India is sort of more of like a compact, strong guy. But like, I think he's a little bit more stiff in the hips where, you know, when you watch um, um, Alec Bohm hit and you just look at the body, he's six, five, you know, just thin sort of, you know, his upper body is like, you know, a triangle is like a triangle, you know, big, broad shoulders, small waist, but just, you know, very strong, long, lean um, power hitter and uh, beautiful swing as well. I really love his swing. I think that he is of these three guys. He's the guy I would probably take um, first. Gorman, as you said, is the upside guy. I would probably take him second. India is probably third for me still. I like him a lot, and I still think India is like a top four or five guy for me in first-year player drafts. Now, uh, from what I hear, uh, what, what's his name? Victor Victor from, from Cuba, right? <laughs> Victor Victor, right? the name. <laughs> I know. I love that. Yeah, right? Victor Victor. So Victor Mesa, oh, so who funny. is known as Victor Victor, because I guess he has another brother, Victor Mesa, who also defected. He may end up being number one based on what I've read from Ben Badler, but I'm going to reserve judgment on that and we'll bring that up. I just wanted to sort of sprinkle it in there. Um, but I do. I just love India because he's one of these guys. He's you know a third baseman. He plays the position pretty well. I think he's going to stick there long term. He's got the arm. You know, he's got the glove um, and he's got sort of the, the right sort of bat swing gets on base. He's got good approach. You know, he's hit for some contact. Um, I know at one point he was, you know, leading the, uh, the nation in a few different categories. I think he's cooled off a little bit from there. Um, but you know, he's played a hard schedule, you know, coming out of Florida. Uh, he was a kid that was drafted out of high school as well. And I think thought of pretty highly, I'm forgetting the, the high school that he attended, but it is a, a school that pe- that's pretty well known. Um, I like India a lot and I think that he's going to be a guy that translates pretty quickly. Um, 
I don't think he's going to be limited in terms of, you know, what his fantasy upside could be because he does have that power. And I think, you know, it's, it's going to play long-term at third base with the approach and everything else that he has. What are your thoughts on India? Yeah, I like India a bit. I think I would go Bohm over him. And I, I Gorman's yeah, a tough one. Gorman's the wild card. If you if you buy into to Gorman producing a little bit more and possibly cutting down some of the Ks, ending up maybe long-term as like a 25-ish K kind of guy, 27 kind of K guy, with the power and you can tolerate that and he's walking a little bit more, then you you got to put Gorman above India. I think that India has a really nice floor, though. So uh, there's an interesting blend here. You know, you look at this as a couple angles. You look at it from the angle of actually organizationally developing a guy, but you also look at it for the fantasy purpose in terms of first-year player drafts, and which will eventually, you, you know, you're going to get into after the end of the season. Everyone's going to start talking about that stuff end of this year, beginning of next year in 2019. But um, well, India is interesting because he's going to be a guy – based on where he's picked and based where I've heard he's almost a lock to top 10, um, which is a lot of that, these guys we're going to talk about now, I think on the top end of this this hitter path of lists, so to speak, are, are relatively locked into that top 10 window just based on their floor and their upside, etc. But, but Indy is a guy who maybe the upside isn't as great as Gorman Bohm, but he's going to produce. So if you're a team and you have a really uh, high pick in a first-year player draft, but your team is a little bit further off, it might be even more interesting to kind of bet on a guy like Gorman or Bohm as opposed to going with India, where you kind of almost know where the package is going to end up. And I still think he he does have a little bit of latent upside in there but uh again polished college guy whereas with gorman he's high school and bohm is also kind of polished college but um bohm's obviously the one here um i i think Fangraphs had him up in their mock going three overall to the phillies which would be super interesting they haven't had a a big pedigreed first third baseman since probably way back like schmidt if you go back to that i mean franco was relatively highly touted but he's been a, a relatively of a work in progress for the last couple of years but that'd be a really interesting piece for the phillies and another one too where you look at the timetable of some of these teams too so you know obviously in the draft we got tigers picking one then you got giants two phillies three white Sox four reds five and of those teams in terms of contention i think the phillies are the most interesting in terms of who they take being a relatively impact guy on the college side of things i think they end up going with college bat here whether they go with a guy like madrigal where they go with a guy like joey bart we can get into in a sec but bohm's super interesting they've been tied to him um just it, it, the phillies are just going to be a relatively good team i think for the next couple of years based on this pick if they could hit it and they got a bunch of guys in the minors and you know, we talked about i mean even deep like jalen ortiz but six there they got adonis medina and a lot of these other guys where they they got a really really good foundation i think this could be kind of a stalwart of the nl east and i think this pick's only going to add to it but we can kind of transition to i'm not sure how much you've looked at madrigal or joey bart ralph but two very very different hitters oh, so yeah. obviously bart's a little bit bigger of a guy georgia tech matt weeders was from there jason veritech was from there that seems to be kind of the revolving the theme pedigree. you hear joey bart you hear georgia tech the pedigree obviously and he's he's got legitimate power and he's got a really good glove from what i understand and that's the biggest thing that's kicked him up on this list so i I, I want to actually get your opinion, maybe, Ralph, before we jump into Madrigal, just around catchers as a whole, catchers and drafts, because from what I understand, one of the reasons Bart has jumped up into this top six-ish consideration, I think there's some Met, there's a Met contingency where the Mets are sitting at six overall, where they really hope Bart can fall to that, but it doesn't seem to me like Bart's going to fall that low. I wouldn't be shocked to see a guy like, the, uh, a team like the Giants or the White Sox kind of buy into Bart longer sure. term and, and go with the, the college bat with some legitimate pop, but he's jumped up on lists because of the defense. And I, I'm really interested to see if you think on the fantasy perspective here, Ralph, that we maybe longer term overvalue him a little bit just because, you know, the changes with him. We know he's always had the power. He's always had a really good slash line. He's probably going to end up being like a 270 hitter, hopefully gets to that 25 home runs. But And that's really valuable on the catcher side of things. But 
with catcher comes risk with risk and catcher comes development time so it's one of those things where do you think he might be like stunted a little bit if he's a catcher and he's in a first year player draft he might get drafted really high but does that translate immediately to first year player draft pedigree for you no, not necessarily, but I do think the one thing that I've read about Bart and the thing that I've observed is he is an excellent catcher. He throws well, uh, calls a pretty good game, you know, is very good defensively, blocking balls low in the dirt, all that sort of stuff. So I don't know if his development path would be stunted as much as some other guys, maybe like a Zach Collins or somebody like that, uh, because sure. he already sort of has that baseline of catching skills, particularly if he ends up uh, in an organization that has a hole at catcher and there's, you know, potentially an opportunity within a year and a half. So I think where he ends up is more interesting for Bart than maybe any other uh, prospect that we're going to talk about tonight or, you know, over the next couple of weeks, because where he ends up will be, you know, indicative of probably how quickly he gets to the major league level, and what sort of opportunity is going to be there for him, maybe even how his skills will play at the park. I mean, if he's a guy that ends up with the Phillies, that's really, um, that's really not a bad place for him to end up. I know that he's going to split time with maybe, you know, Jorge Alfaro, but I don't know, once again, if that's such a bad thing either, you know, um, he's interesting from the sense that there's power there and there is some hit tool. I still think he's going to strike out a lot. I've seen him miss and badly on some breaking balls and some of the tape. And I, I want to give a shout out to all the saints there on YouTube that are condensing college games and like weeks worth of at bats yes. into like a minute and a half video. And I can watch everything that this guy did at the plate for, for a week and like a minute and a half. It's absolutely amazing. Thank you to all those saints. And, uh, and there's a, a special place in heaven for all of you. So anyway, um, <laughs> long story short, I think that Bart has an opportunity to be, uh, an impact player at catcher just because he can be a decent baseline guy. He's going to play a lot of games. He seems like he sort of has that pedigree where he's going to be playing three quarters of the games and uh, will be, you know, a consistent top 10 uh, drafted catcher. The problem is, what's the wear and tear? And, you know, he's not hitting 40 home runs. This isn't Gary Sanchez. Where does he go? Does he get overrated because he has that pedigree? We've seen it happen with other catchers over time. And, you know, or is it just the Matt Weeders thing where, you know, we're always chasing it. And it's always like it's decent, but it's just never as good as we want it to be because there seems to be no position uh, that's harder to translate from real world scouting skills at the amateur level to fantasy value at the major league level than catcher. It's just, it's, it's harder than high school righties who we'll talk about next week. And we'll lament how awful it is to deal with high school righties and how many we have in this draft, but catchers are just as hard to project. So he's a guy that I'm just going to stay off of, but I think it's really hard based on the kind of upside he could potentially have at the catching position to maybe keep him out of like your top 25 or 30 for a first year player draft. I think he probably still has to be in maybe that top 15 to 20 window. And I'm really going to suppress him a lot because of the catcher thing. There's a case to be made that he could be top mm -hmm. 10 in first year player drafts. I'm not going to call you an idiot. It's just not, uh, I, I'm, I'm more risk adverse with that position. So I'm going to tend to sort of shy away from it. I agree. I think there's a big discrepancy here between real-life value of a team taking Joey Bart, right-handed catcher with power, sure. who could call a game and all these other intangible things that everyone loves about him, and then to the fantasy side of things. And I think there's going to be some accidental overlap in terms of people maybe watching higher-level coverage and then applying that directly to their first-year player draft. And that's where you might get some people going, oh, I want to take Bart top three on my yeah. first-year player draft. And it's like, well, 
you're taking a huge risk. And this is like the same thing that goes back to the high school righty, which we'll get into next week. But I just think there's a lot of embedded risk in the, in the catcher position here, which is something I've struggled with in terms of, because I like Bart. I really like the swing. I think it's honestly one of the more polished righty swings in the draft in terms of, of what we're getting out of it. Maybe there isn't too much upside in terms of what he gets to. But, I mean, if you're telling me in five years, Bart's at the major league level hitting like 270 with 20 ish home runs, you know, even if you appropriate that. So, like, say he's only catching like 100 games a year and, I think that that's kind of a trend we're going to start to see. We're not going to see too many guys like Austin Hedges where they're catching 135-plus and they're relatively young. I think we're going to see a lot of guys catching maybe in that 100-60 splitish kind of range with someone else. So that, again, suppresses the value. It's just one of those things where I just don't want to invest in catcher in a first-year player draft. I don't think it's going to be a talent that's going to absolutely change your team and overhaul your team. But a talent that might do that, that I think a lot of people are super high on, is Nick Madrigal, who fits in this mold of the short, kind of up-the-middle kind of guy with Diminutive. some slap. I think there's a little bit of... Yeah, there's a little bit of hidden power here. He's got a lot of movement in his swing, a big leg kick. He's super funky in terms of, I can't even comp him. Like, I, I, I've heard some weird, weird, weird comps, but he almost, the, the comp that came to me is like a bigger leg kick version of like Shane Victorino. And I don't know why I came up with that. I think he's got relatively high hands, which is where I was coming from and kind of how he loads everything. But there's a lot of movement in here, but the approach for him has been fantastic. I think that there's a lot of underrated bat speed with Madrigal in terms of how he's able to get the balls, even though he's got so much movement in his swing and uh he's a 58 guy he's only 160 the the hit tool is right around that 60ish range though and i've seen that almost consensus everywhere i've looked they think this is an above average hit tool the power is obviously the the piece in question here but he he grades out as an above average runner i think he could be a guy who hits you know if he if he maxes out he could probably uh, see, this is tough because if you max him out, then you kind of maybe uh, the power is the part that I just I have trouble figuring out where the max is. But if you want to max out the average in the steals, you could put him around 300 with 20 bags, I think is, is a really nice ceiling for him. And then the power is another thing where, like, see, he only gets to 12 home run power, he ends up being probably a little bit less valuable. But if this turns into a guy who could go 20 20 with 300, then you start to kind of get that buzz around really, really pie in the sky ideals around what Madrigal can do. He's an Oregon State guy, he's second baseman. Everyone thinks he's sticking there long-term. Relatively good defender as well. But again, there's a lot of movement in that swing. And uh, I'm, I'm super impressed that he has that much movement. He's able to kind of put the bat on the ball as well as he does and how consistently he does. I think he's slashing like insane right now. I think he's like a 460 hitter or yeah, something like that. Coming off an injury too. I think that's... Yeah, yeah, that was another thing, too. Everyone thought, I think, that that was going to suppress his value a little bit, as it has with some of the other arms in this draft. Um, but it hasn't. And everyone loves Madrigal, especially because he hasn't missed a beat. Um, he's a fun guy. He's kind of like a like an Ener- Energizer bunny, so to speak, based on what I've heard around his, his personality and stuff and watching some interviews with him. He's kind of like just a high-strung guy. He's going to get the Altuve He's <laughs> on video. Um, it's one of those things like Pedroia, Altuve, all these other short second basemen, even like a Kingery kind of, you're going to get all those. And it, it, I don't like that in terms of the comp perspective, just because he's obviously his own person. He's a different kind of hitter. But what, what do you think about the movement in this guy's swing? Nah, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm Ralph's buddy, Fitzy. I'm going to tell you, kid, I hope the Red Sox trade up to get this dude. If there's like some way they could trade up to get <laughs> like a dude in the MLB draft, like the Celtics, like we should hire Danny Ainge. And we should have him trade for the Red Sox because Nick Madrigal is totally a gamer kid. He reminds me of Dustin Pedroia. All he does is swing from his shoes. He's this tiny guy. Like seriously, kid. He, like someone passed me a butt. I, I, I'm I'm getting crazy. No, he, if he was drafted by the Red Sox, Boston you would right hear this. 
nonstop. Like every single person oh. that saw a tape of him would be like, oh my God. Like they'd call him to EEI and then the sports hub. Oh, the like, hub, have you yeah. seen Nick Madrigal kid? Like he's totally Pedroia, dude. He swings out of his shoes. <laughs> he's like small, but he's a gamer. You should see him run. He plays so hard. Um, but it, it, in all reality, like he doesn't remind me of Dustin Pedroia from a swing perspective, but like he's a little guy from the right side that swings like out of his ass. Like it is insane. Yeah. His, his, it's fun to watch, they, honestly. Yeah. Like Pedroia's hands are super quick and I always feel like it's, it's crazy how, how quick he gets the bat around, like especially when he was in his heyday, but his lower half is way more controlled than Madrigal's Madrigal's like, like front leg kick is enormous. It's almost like he like jumps forward and and he gets like, I mean, he gets extension actually like the, the, you know, the amount of, of, of ground he covers with, you know, how small his lower half really is. Cause he is a very, you know, tiny guy. Um, and he has, you know, uppercut bat path. He gets into some balls. Uh, yeah, I could definitely see, you know, him sort of maxing out. If he can add a few more pounds, get a little bit more of that man strength into him, um, potentially, you know, being more like a 15 homer guy. I don't know if he has it right now, but the hit tools there puts the bat in the ball, um, takes good at bats, you know, has the speed to sort of play up and, and, and beat out sort of deep balls in the infield. I think that's going to play up his average too. He's going to be sort of a contact and, and speed guy that I think potentially, uh, can grow into a little bit more power and he's got some defense there as well. And he, and from what I've heard, as you said, sort of an energetic guy and sort of like a natural born leader and, you know, gets the troops sort of in line. Everybody wants to, you know, jump on his back and get behind him. And he's been a, a cog, a very important player in that Oregon state run. And they've been a great team over the last couple of years. It'd be interesting to see yeah. what they do during tournament time. Absolutely. Yeah. They got another guy we can get into a little bit later. Trevor Larnock, I think his name is, I'm not exactly sure how to say it, but He's a he's a lefty bat outfielder who yeah. is actually probably a little bit overshadowed based on how well Madrigal's played. But uh, tons of power. We can combo. I want to combo up to uh, yeah. Larnock has a ton of power. Um, I want to combo up to high school outfielders here. So we're gonna combo up two lefty high school outfielders. Connor Scott, he's a Florida boy, and Jared Kelnick, Kalenic. I don't know how you say it. I've heard it different ways. We'll go with Kalenic for now. So Jared Kalenic is is up north. He's in Wisconsin. So he's a guy who. Honestly, in terms of comping, just to give you guys kind of a visual on what these guys look like, and I want to go purely aesthetic here, is Connor Scott is is going to get the Kyle Tucker comp a lot based on his hand load and how he hits. He's got a relatively perpendicular bat. He has a, has a little bit of a stretch in his lefty swing. He's going to get that. I, I honestly see a little bit of Matt Olson there too. Again, aesthetic comp purely because he does not have the same power Matt Olson has. Kyle Tucker, I don't think he has good as, as good of a hit tool as Tucker has. Tucker's hit tool grades out of 70, almost consensus everywhere I've seen. The 70 tool that Connor Scott has is the speed side of things, though. Really, really nice line drive swing. I'm not sure how much power is here, but the hit tool is already around that 50-ish. Everyone thinks he could get up to that 50-ish kind of window. The power is actually... I've seen it graded out relatively different. I've seen it more around average. I've seen it a little bit below and a little bit above. So that seems to be the, the thing in flux. As you're going to hear with a lot of these high school guys is like, we need to kind of guess on the power side of things. And then that kind of baselines them to see how much helium they could eventually get on a, in a, in a fantasy team from my perspective, as I'm looking at this. But again, Connor Scott, I, I'm, I always get that at Kyle Tucker said his aesthetic comp in there, 70 run plus fielder. He's super interesting. He's kind of heliumed up some boards as well. Um, and uh, along with uh, a guy like Bohm or a guy like Bart, and I think Madrigal and India have kind of always been kind of in that window. Maybe India's flown up a little bit too. But Connor Scott was not really the, the top high school guy a couple of months ago. It was Kelnick, Kelenic. Um, 
It was even like a guy like Bryce Terang who we could get into a baby's shortstop out in California. But kind of Scott's super interesting. I think that in terms of creating a baseline for floor for a college guy, or excuse me, for a high school guy, because these are both high school guys here between Kalanick and Scott, it's really interesting because I think we often associate risk very highly with a lot of these high school guys. But Connor Scott, I think, is a little bit of floor in terms of the, of the of the hit tool with the speed and the defense combo. And with Kelnick, Kelnick's another guy where you just toss a bunch of average to above average grades on everything he does. Really, really polished bat for a high school player. He's going to get a little bit of the Ellsbury comp in terms of his follow-through. If you watch any of the uh, All-American games on YouTube, they have a ton up with him swinging. His follow-through is, is really on the Jacoby Ellsbury side of things, but I don't think he has the same speed Ellsbury has. Maybe he could get to the kind of same power Ellsbury has. It, he's a nice five-tool guy um, along with Connor Scott here, but everything kind of grades out around that 50 to 60 range. He's a guy I've actually heard, too, can fall a little bit just based on slot value and how teams are going to uh, view him as a player and if he does i think he could be a relatively interesting snag for a team sitting in that uh like 15 to 16 ish range I, I i think personally getting into more of the draft board itself some of the really interesting picks come um i think it's 14 and 18 or 16 and 18 with the royals and the rays yeah. they have a lot a lot of money and i think that they're going to be a little bit more inclined possibly to go with some high school talent that they could pay over slot value on yeah and they're going to draw down some guys there's more Exactly. Yeah. So they're gonna. They might go with a guy like say Kelnick Falls. They, they're willing to overpay him to get him to not go to wherever college. I'm not sure where he's committed to. But there's gonna be a couple guys like that. I'd be interested. In maybe they go on the arm side of things too. But we're sticking purely bats here. But uh, but yeah, Kelnick and Connor Scott are two guys. Maybe a little bit further off in terms of first year player drafts. But the upside is really really nice with both of them. A little bit different of players. I think as I said, Kelnick is more of a straight across the board. Like everything is good, and it's more of understanding where the where the hit tool and the power get to. Um, but it really nice for him and Connor Scott is more of that, like, um, the mold of speed glove and in some hit tool in there with a little bit more question on the power. I like both their stances a lot in terms of their swing and their mechanics as well. It's really, really tough not to like some of these lefty swings in this draft. Um, I know you were interested a little bit on, on Connor Scott, Ralph, do you have any thoughts on either of these guys or kind of which one you prefer? I think I'm, I think I'm still a little bit torn in terms of which one I prefer. I think I might lean Ke- clinic here just because of everything Me too. evening out whereas maybe on the maybe on the Connor Scott side of things for the fantasy terms that if he's only speeding defense he might turn into maybe a a little bit more of a uh, not not as a featured of a player in terms of his upside which could dampen him in fantasy circles more of a moniac but both are really interesting yeah more of a moniac I don't want to bring up the moniac cop the middle player like because that's the hope with with Scott, is yeah. that maybe he can stick up the middle because of you know his his value in in in, in the outfield. Yep. He's got a That's gun. That's a good point. He runs really well. All that sort of stuff. I'm going to get in, into uh, I'm going to get into Scott in a minute, but Kalenic to me is is the clear choice. Um, I think that you know being a cold weather kid, he hasn't played baseball uh, necessarily outside at least year round. There were a lot of games that were sort of uh, snowed out. That means scouts haven't got as many looks on him as they have. Um, you know, at Scott during his time at plant. So thing with the Kalenic to me is I think that there is more power. Uh, I think there's maybe 60 power, 60 hit tool potentially lurking there. I think that's the biggest question is if those are sixes and not fives, but he's not the sort of across the board five guy that is what one of the concerns is in yeah. terms of his upside. If there are legit sixes there with the power and with the hit tool. And when I watch the swing, I think there is like, I really like, uh, Kalenic swing, uh, especially in comparison to, to nice Connor Scott. Yep. Yeah, I, 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 I love it. It's it's balanced. It's clean. Um, you can see that he get out a little loft, maybe add a little bit of power. But there's strength. He gets the you know he gets the bat around quick. He's got good bat speed. 
He can see that he's athletic in his in his motions and levers and, and mechan you know, all that stuff is sort of there. I like Kalenic. I think he's the guy that I'm gonna take, you know, of the two. And I think he's a guy that's gonna drop down to the right spot for him to not have too many expectations. If he drops to fourteen to the Royals, or if he drops to I think sixteen to the Rays, or maybe that's reversed. Um, I think those are going to be great landing spots for him. If he's outside the top, you know, I know there was some, some one, one buzz and there was one, two buzz, obviously Mays is the clear mm, one, was, one now. Yeah. Um, but at one point there was, if that's sort of tempered down a little bit, it's not so bad. I think that's one of the things that was brought up on the, the baseball America podcast about Mickey Moniak is one of the struggles with him. is not that he's a bad prospect, really. It's just the expectations of one, one, or even the top five or top 10 are very different, even though it's only a few draft slots. And we know as guys that follow the MLB draft, a lot of the time, you know, Joe Adele was probably better than four or five players that went ahead of him, maybe even more, you know? Um, so that's, that's not Very necessarily a shock. So I'm going to go with Kalenic in terms of who I like. I think he did a great job of breaking him down. One thing that I don't love about Connor Scott is the lower half. There just really isn't a whole lot there. I know Jason Woodell doesn't love it. Doesn't love the swing. Thinks there's something there, but it's, he's not, he's not into Connor Scott at all. And he's gotten some firsthand looks, went over to plant and, 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 and got to, uh, you know, watch a few of his games, three or four. And he watches a ton of high school games. So I take, I take his opinion there. Um, I know some other folks think, you know, well, the bat path is there. The skills are there. The baseline ability is there. Um, you know, he's a big athletic lefty. We can sort of we can hone that. We can get the lower half more into a swing. He's only 18 years old. Don't write him off. You know, he's a left-handed pitcher. He's doing that as well. If he's just focusing on hitting, you know, let's see what he sort of develops into. One thing I want to bring up with Kyle Tucker is you do do you realize that they actually go to the they went to the same high school? I did not. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That is really the, funny. The, the Tuckers are from Plant. So I wonder if there's a coach there oh, wow. that's coaching up some of these guys huh. in terms of the bat path. And that's why it's, it's ironic that it's similar. Uh, I don't know if you know, Zach that writes over on Rasball football. He did some baseball work as well over the last few years. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah. on the podcast. He actually goes to plant. He's a senior at plant with Connor Scott goes to no high school. Way. Yep. That is really funny. Yep. <laughs> Connor Scott likes to hunt. He's a pretty good kid. Small that's what world. I, that's what I heard from Zach. Cause when hey. I, I knew that he went to plant and there was a prospect there. I knew he was the same age. I sent him over a text and said, Hey, you know, or DM and said, Hey man, what's, uh, what's going on with, with Connor Scott? Is there anything, the deets, anything, yeah. <laughs> worry, anything I need to worry about? He says, nah, he doesn't talk much about baseball. He's kind of a quiet kid, really into hunting. I'm like, guy, oh, he's going to fit into every MLB clubhouse immediately. Yeah. If that's the case yeah. with the hunting crowd. So that's cool. Um, seems like he's a good kid. He's got a lot of athletic ability. I think he's a little bit more raw, raw than Kalenic is. Uh, I still think both of them have tremendous upside, especially if they can each, do, uh, hone their hit tool and develop a little bit more power. And I think the biggest question for each of these guys is it is for a, a lot of these sort of, uh, we'll say fives and five, five and a halfs to borderline, maybe projection sixes. Um, and we see a lot of these these high school outfielders that are like that is how much power do they develop? If they develop that 20 plus homer power and they have all these other baseline skills, then they can be really impactful players on the major league level, the real life level, as well as on the fantasy level. And I think that's ultimately what we're trying to boil it down here and project out. Who's the one that's going to add the power and keep some of these uh, additional skills that are going to give them that that value, not only to get an opportunity really early in the major league level, but succeed in the professional level. 100 percent agree with you i think it's very well said and wow small world on tucker and plant and all this stuff. yeah come yeah. on full circle here ralph i like it you like that <laughs> that's crazy well I, 
Oh, you go. You have a question? No, no, no. I said, I said you like that. Yeah. Just like, I, like, um, you know, uh, I, I like uh, it. Yeah. Kirk Cousins running into the locker room, you know. <laughs> Like that? One of my favorite memes of the last football season. <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's jump into two more outfielders here. Actually, we'll go to we'll go back to college here. Those are two high school guys, obviously, between Scott and uh, Kalenic there. But Travis Swaggerty is another one who's kind of in that top ten, and then a one who's probably a little bit more outside of the top ten here. Trevor Larnock. Um, he's Oregon State Larnock, mm. and Swaggerty is South Alabama. Swaggerty. The one thing that I noticed with Swaggerty that I want to bring up that's super interesting to me is watching video of him. Um, I know we often talk about guys who get really good extension on the mound where their back knee almost comes and touches the ground. You could, you could do this with Mackenzie Gore. Jack Flaherty is another one with really, really athletic delivery and extension. And um, it kind of plays up to the athleticism side of things. But with Travis Swaggerty, I can't say I've really ever seen a guy at the plate do it as as aggressively in terms of like a lower half weight transfer as I've seen with Swaggerty. He has like a, a really natural and aggressive and, and almost conscious uppercut to his swing and it mm. comes from a lot of his lower body where his back back leg almost like comes really close to the ground honestly and how he uses his front leg too is relatively active and it's, a, it's an interesting swing and it's not really super conducive to too too much power i think that he's relatively yeah. limited in that respect but he starts his hands really low decent bat path um I, I think there maybe is a little bit of hidden power there, but he's another guy who kind of grades out right in that 50 to 60 range where everyone's hoping eventually he can become average to above average on the hit tool and average to above average on the power tool. He's a 5'11 guy, a little bit shorter, really good frame, 60 run, sort of a little bit above average in that respect. Um, I believe from what I've heard that I believe he could stick in center field, which is kind of the same trend for Connor Scott, whereas I think some people think Kyle Lennick can stick in center up the middle, but I think eventually maybe turns into a left fielder, right fielder, depending on where they see the arm strength long term. But, um, Again, that's just more of an organizational development thing, so it's tough for us to kind of assume without knowing what organization he's in and what the long-term prospects are of the prospects in that organization, which is a big thing, obviously, with a ton of teams. But, uh, but yeah, Swaggerty is really interesting. I noticed that in his mechanics. And then Trevor Larnock is a guy a uh, little bit different, a little more polished, obviously, from the college. He's righty, or excuse me, Larnock's a lefty. He's 6'3", 220, a little bit bigger. Um, his hit tool grades out really, relatively well. He's not really good on the on the run side of things, obviously, a little bit bigger here. Yeah. You're going to get that with a lot of guys. Um, but uh, he's got an open stance, closes off with a nice leg kick. Um, I, I think that the bat, bat path can actually bring up a little bit more power. I think that it doesn't; it only grades out around like average right now from what I've been researching, but I could see that playing up a little bit. I think that he's a guy who could have some sneaky pop. We're going to get in some other guys here as we get a little bit deeper in the first round that I really like who think I think are, are really nice values in terms of, of bringing up a little bit more pop. But Larnock is another one here. Um, I think it end up comboing up some nice bat and uh, bat-to-ball ability with some power. And uh, I, I guess that it's more maybe – my long-term prospects on Larnock is that it's more pull-side power. I don't think he's going to ever be like a, a right-center-to-center-to-gap-to-gap kind of power guy. It might be end up more of like a, maybe almost like a little Alex Gordon-y in terms of where all that power's to the pull-side and, and super pull into right field. But uh, um, yeah, Larnock and, and Swaggerty are interesting. And Swaggerty obviously profiles a little bit more. Um, I, I've heard the the prototypical leadoff hitter kind of comp yeah. um, with the nice OBP, good approach, and possibly developing more power. But Obviously, the mechanical tick there with Swaggerty and really active lower half in his back knee and, and the natural uppercut you've seen is swinging Larnock, possibly developing a little more power than we think. Again, Larnock's Oregon State lefty, and Swaggerty's also lefty, South Alabama. Um, you have thoughts on either of these guys, Ralph? Yeah, Swaggerty I watched a lot of, and I, I'm not quite sure what to make of him. As you said, I think he is probably the leadoff guy is what you sort of hope for. Um, but, you know, he has sort of the mechanics that you think he's trying to tap into a little bit more power, but it is, you know, sort of average yeah, fringe at this point. There. It's not, yeah. it's not there. And he's got it's this funny. like open stance as well, but he's very athletic, very well balanced. 
Um, you know, his, his, his motions are very smooth in the field and at the plate. And I think that athleticism, when I watched him on tape and I watched a lot of his at-bats, it really jumped out to me when I sort of did the number scouting and I went back and dug into his baseball cube numbers. Um, you know, the walk rate uh, has improved each year when he's been at South Alabama. Uh, strikeout rate has improved each year. He's been at South Alabama. So it's good to see that he's making progressions as well and has that athleticism and looks like he has the ability to improve as well and adapt. So that's a good sign, hopefully, for you know what his prospects are. But I think he's limited in terms of what his upside is as a fantasy guy. Um, he ticks down a little bit more for me. I'm still going to go with maybe, you know, somebody like Nolan Gorman and bet on maybe the upside of the power or even like a Nick Madrigal for me. I think I would take it fantasy wise because he's in the infield and in the middle infield over a guy like Travis Swagger. I think he's really interesting. Larnock looks to me like one of these guys that's going to sneak at the end. He could be this year's sort of Brent Rooker. I don't know. He doesn't necessarily have the power that Rooker has, yeah, but it's that, like that, that advanced sort of um, power contact bat. He is maybe a little bit more on the contact side. I really like what I saw from Larnock as I dug into some of his at-bats. Good player, good program, played in some big games, uh, had some big hits, plays the outfield pretty well. He's not, he's not a bad outfielder at all. So he's got an opportunity to sort of stick there long term, which sort of helps his value. He's not going to be because he kind of has a body type of like a first base only kind of guy, maybe, a, you know, a little bit more trim at this point. But you could sort of, you know, he's broad shouldered and, and sort of a strong guy. that You can see him growing into that, you know, bigger 30 homer power. And I think that's sort of what we're dreaming on uh, with a good baseline approach. Um, some of the stuff I saw, you know, he he'll. He'll chase some bad breaking balls off the plate, particularly from lefties. Um, I saw a couple of, uh, of instances of at bats against lefties where he was getting really fooled on some breaking balls. So that might be one part of his game that he needs to sort of tighten up. But for the most part, I thought he put together really good at bats, put the bat in the ball. You see that he, you know he's got some contact, uh, gets some decent exit velocities from uh, a report I had read on maybe Hero Sports. It might have been where I had I had read a little bit about him. They had a nice write up on uh, on Larnack, so go go check that out. But um, He's an interesting guy and somebody I think you maybe you know, depending on your league size, you might be able to get like really late in the first round or even drop into like the second round that might have that value to sort of jump up if he takes well the pro ball and the power starts to play up in the approach and uh, you know, sort of gives you that that power contact sort of thing going on. Uh, what say you? <laughs> No, I agree with that. I think the Larnock's a relatively interesting one in terms of that polished college bat that we often kind of go sure. to in terms. But uh, uh, we can jump into two more high school guys now. I know one of them, Bryce Terang, I believe, uh, uh, one of your readers, actually, his daughter or something like that goes to high school out with Bryce Terang in California. So yeah. I thought that was pretty funny. I think he sent you some video. So that was really cool. And then uh, another high school guy, Jordan Adams, here. So these are two guys. Oh. Terang was a guy who, for a while, was was a top eight-ish kind of guy who was sitting in the top half of the draft. He was right there with Kalenic. He was right there with with Gorman and some of these other guys. And then obviously with the high schoolers, you start to kind of get dig into them, be a little bit more critical, and a lot of the mechanical things going on. I think that his swing is relatively noisy. And it, I think it's a little bit more noisy from the um, from the left side than a lot of other guys that we're looking at here in yeah. terms of like Kelnick or Kalenic and some of these other guys. I, I think that it's... It's interesting. I think his bat passed a little bit too level. I think there's a lot more adjustment that needs to go on with Bryce Terang. I think that everyone sees him sticking at shortstop. He's a little bit taller. I think he's 6'1". Actually, that's probably like average height. He's 6'1", 175 is what I had written down. Not a lot of power here. He's kind of more of an average to below average in terms of all the tools as opposed to Kalenic was more of like an average to above average. And I, 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 Terang's fallen a lot. And it's one of those things where obviously you take spring into account and how he's played. I don't think he's played too, too well. 
But what you do have here is a really good defender and a guy who can stick at shortstop. And I think there is some solace and some value in that. He has fallen probably to the back half of the first round from what I understand. I don't really think that there's going to be a team willing to jump up as we were talking in the middle of the in the middle of the first round who's willing to kind of pay up for a guy like this. But a guy that they might be willing to pay up for, Ralph, and I know this is something you brought up to me, is a guy who, who's a two-sport athlete, Jordan Adams, at a, a, a high school from North Carolina. He's committed to go play football at North Carolina University, where his dad is a line coach. And this is a guy I think that could sneak into the middle of that first round with a team. If a team is buying into him, he's a 70-speed guy. He's kind of more like a Connor Scotty. Um, I actually like Connor Scott. I'd say a little bit more than Jordan Adams. It's just really? a personal thing in terms of hitting power. I think that there's a lot more development that needs to go on with Jordan Adams' bat. And I agree with saying that athleticism for him might be even better than Connor Scott. And I also like the fact that Connor Scott's a little I think better power, so, too. Uh, there's some blend. I yeah, I believe so. I think that Adams is a little more like you're buying into the athleticism, you're buying into the future potential of a guy who is this quick and this good of a defender. Um, he's got a big leg kick, Jordan Adams, a lot of hand movement. He's Honestly, I like actually comping together Jordan Adams and Bryce Terang just because I think that they're relatively funky in terms of their mechanics and a little bit of length, a little bit of bat wrap, a little bit of everything that you eventually have to smooth out. I think Terang's probably more of a project than Jordan Adams. Jordan Adams is just a guy I think that can get some buzz and get hyped up. Kyler Murray is another one who I don't think we're going to talk about tonight but he's an oklahoma guy um mm-hmm. who is a, and also a two-sport athlete team's probably gonna have to pay up for it to convince him not to go and play football in college um or no kyler murray is an oklahoma guy right now in college whereas jordan adams is going to play football if he does decide to go to north carolina yes. his dad so uh um really interesting there on both these guys um i'm not sure if you have opinions either way ralph but yeah uh, i, I they're actually interesting re- I, i'd obviously I, I really like Jordan Adams, actually. Sorry, I cut you off there. What a, what a jerk I am. What were no you going to say? What was the last <laughs> thing you want to mention? No, I was actually just going to pass it to you. <laughs> oh, well, they did. I, I, I took the mic from you. I knocked it out of your hand, and I stole it. I like Jordan Adams a lot. I, I think the athleticism is there. There's a lot of power. What I had read in some of the scouting reports is that over the showcase circuit, um, some of the, the showcases that he did do, you know, he was getting some of the highest exit velocities that they were reading. I don't know how much you want to read into that, but there's some power there. And I think that there's even more polish. Uh, there's more ability than, than maybe we even realize, especially if he's focusing on baseball full time. But it's going to take a lengthy amount uh, lengthy. It's going to take a serious amount of money, like some serious guap in, in order to get him to commit. Um, I, I think that may push him into the supplemental round. And he might be a guy that the Royals are maybe able to pull back and maybe drop a significant amount of money. I know that uh, I think it was on the baseball America podcast again that I had listened to on the draft. Most recently they had sort of used Daz Cameron as an example of somebody that, you know, he has a number, maybe it was like $4 million or whatever. And the Astros were more or less able to pull him back into uh, the third round because they had um, a decent amount of money left over in that draft and were able to, to snag him up. I think he might be another one of these guys. He's a really exciting talent. I think there's some power. I think there's definitely some speed. He's a uh, five-tool guy. He's you know you know 70, 80 grade runner, um, great athlete, and you know maybe he can sort of uh, tighten up a little bit of uh, you know some of the things and and the holes in his swing. There's definitely some swing and miss to his game. Uh, you can see it. He takes some bad swings from time to time, but uh, there's some great swings too, and 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 some really hard hit balls. And uh, anytime you got a little bit of power and speed and I guess the, the football thing and the athleticism maybe makes me drool a little bit, though. I know uh, the two sport guys don't always translate as well as maybe like a Taylor Trammell or an Anthony Alford has uh, throughout their you know early stages of their professional career. Yeah, that's a very good point. Very good point there. Um, 
I, I, I think it's always funny with the high school guys just based on projecting them out, just because so many of them fell. So it's one of those things, like, I think we've been overly positive with a lot of them, but yeah. I think eventually when we eventually pump out some ranks yeah, and stuff, they'll start to see these guys a little bit lower. And and the guys we buy in on, maybe we'll, we're interested in maybe kicking up a little bit on draft boards. But um, uh, we got another, like, 15 minutes here, Ralph. I, I'd like to touch on a couple other guys. I wanted to get into a kind of combo of guys that I personally like a bit in terms of if you're a team in a first-year player draft, say it's a tenor, 10 to 15 team league, whatever, and you don't have one of these top five picks, you don't end up with a guy that's, you know, a, a headliner like a Madrigal or um, a Nolan Gorman or like Bohm or Casey Mize eventually on the pitching side of things. But uh, there's a trio of guys here that I find relatively interesting. The first is uh, Jeremy Ironman. He's a shortstop from Mississippi State. Mississippi State, I believe, is the alum of uh, of Rooker, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly. It is. Here. And it's also a, a relatively good baseball school in terms of some guys committed. I think there's two of the top uh, high school pitchers are actually committed to Mississippi State. So I'll be interested to see if either of them actually end up signing or end up going to play in Mississippi State. But Ironman is a, a six foot two five guy with a relatively good hit tool, relatively good power tool, really, really good arm. Um, I think longer term, I'd like to say he could stick at shortstop. Uh, pretty good fielder plus run. But uh, the interesting thing with Ironman is that he gets beat up on inside pitches a little bit from the scanning reports I've read. But the big thing is that a lot of people think it's more of a setup issue than it is a uh, an actual swing issue that he doesn't have the bat speed to get to the inside pitches. And I've seen some swings of Ironman that are just really, really interesting. I know we talk about Madrigal being a big guy who gets into that leg kick a lot and everyone's kind of hoping for a little bit more power, but it hasn't really shown up. I think Ironman's a guy who could put on a lot of power. I think the immediate thing I thought of was like a Carter Keyboom where you can legitimately have him stick it short and bring on a lot of power. And I don't think that's a one-for-one -one comp. Obviously, Keyboom Keyboom's doing it at the double-A level. There's much more pedigree there than a guy like Ironman, who I think could probably fall to the back half of the first round. But Ironman's one of the guys I just personally like a bit in terms of being a back half first-year player draft, maybe even the second round early first-year player draft, depending on where he goes. I don't think he's going to be hyped up too, too much, but I think there's a, a relatively nice adjustment that a development that an organization can make developmentally and get him into a little bit more power. Big fan of Ironman. Another big fan of an Oklahoma guy who plays with Kyler Murray. We mentioned him a little bit. Uh, obviously, another two-sport guy like Jordan Adams is Steely Walker, who probably has one of the better names here we've gone over. 80, a left-handed outfielder. 80-grade um, grade name, right? Steely. It's unbelievable. He also has 80-grade hair. I saw a video that Kyler McDaniel, I think, posted up of Kyler Murray hitting a home run, and then I think I think Steely Walker was on base, and he took off his helmet, and he's got like the long-flowing, almost like Gurriel-style top main flow going on, which is, I know, a big thing a lot of these guys have. But uh, but Walker's super interesting. He's uh, more hit than power. I think the big concern on, on him is the power side of things, but He's another guy, again, he's got a really uh, quiet stance. He's a line drive machine is the is the tag you're going to hear a lot with him. I think personally, again, there's another guy I see a little bit more power in if they make a couple adjustments with him mechanically. I think that it might come at the expense of average, and it's obviously going to be a little more pull side than a, a guy who's going to go to right center, left center with the ball a lot. But uh, he's super interesting. I think he's another guy who's probably going to fall to the back half of the first round, maybe even early second round, comp round, et cetera, and it could be a relatively impactful. And then the last guy I'll jump to quickly before I pass it back to you, Ralph, third baseman, high school from Texas, Jordan Groshans. He's a guy you could check out in the uh, in the Perfect Game Classic that's on YouTube that I was mentioning earlier. Um, he's a little bit bigger. He's 6'4". He's one, only 190 from what I saw, so he's obviously going to fell out a little bit more. He's got a really big, funky leg kick and a lot of movement, but I think they could quiet him down and get him into a lot more power. I think that the potential and the power for him, future, future, absolutely maxed out ceiling, could get to like the 65-ish range. I don't think I'd put it up to the 70, but I think he's a guy again you're looking at high school bat obviously not as much pedigree as gorman but another guy you could put on and eventually maybe project a little more power at the expense of swing and miss as it is for all these high school guys but uh 
Um, I'm really interesting. Again, this is another guy I think that maybe a team like Tampa Bay or Kansas City can scoop either in the comp round or maybe they pay up a little bit more for him and, and get him not to go to college. But uh, um, the comp I heard from actually is, is Ryan Valade in terms of profile, which is obviously a guy out in Colorado right now. But um, in terms of aesthetically, stance-wise, I didn't really see that too much, but it seems to be more of just a projection thing where a lot of people think that Valade's power can come and come through in the next couple of years. But with Groshans, I think that there's a lot of movement there. If you watch the development of him over the years from back when he was an Under Armour all Under Armour All American guy to where where he is now, I think that he's super, super promising in terms of the the hidden power. If you're looking for a kind of hidden power, which is obviously kind of mm. a sexy thing for the first year player draft style. Um so these are three guys obviously we're getting kind of deeper of the first round here, Ralph. But I don't know sure. if you looked into each of these guys extensively uh, or what are your thoughts? I did. I, I really like Jordan Groshans. I think he's a guy that's probably gonna be in my top twenty in terms of first year player draft, at least on my board thing that i like here is the fact that you know quick bat speed plus raw power you know he showed the ability to, to sort of hit really good pitching i don't know if you saw i think there was a, a perfect game tape that i saw i saw it written about as well uh, where he hit a homer on a 95 mile per hour fastball from uh i think it's Linares torres jr who's a, a pretty good right-hander yeah, I think, Lenny from, torres, yep. yeah from from new york state and that was in the all-american classic i think last year um, when I look at some of the scouting reports, I look at some of the videos, had a big leg kick last year over uh, some of the showcase circuit stuff that I saw. He's quieted that down a little bit. I know there were some concerns. Uh, this is something that actually Baseball America had touched on a little bit as well. Um, but he's been able to sort of uh, quiet that down. He's added on some, some muscle. Um, he's improved himself, you know, uh, in his senior year. All good things to see when he already had this baseline of stuff. And I like the fact that he's an he's an infielder as well with that power. Um, I, I don't know. I'm 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 definitely all in on him. I feel like he's a guy that could fly up boards, especially if he shows well. Um, Steely Walker is another guy I was really impressed with. I didn't know a ton about him uh, prior to sort of the show notes and you sent it over to me. I had obviously read a little bit about him. I dug in a little bit more, and I actually think there might be a little bit more power with some really good sort of baseline athletic schools uh, skills. Great speed. He's actually got another another guy with a big arm here uh, that's going to play probably in you know multiple positions in the outfield. But he's had double digit homers. Um, I think there is definitely some power there as well. Uh, he hit well in the Cape Cod League. I have the numbers in front of me: three thirty three, four seventeen, five fourteen, um, and I think pretty pretty well uh, as well um, with with Team USA. So I'm pretty interested in, in Steely Walker as well. Plus, he's got that awesome name, so he's going to be a lot of fun. Who doesn't want to own a kid <laughs> named Steely, right? Um, and then who's the exactly. other guy you brought up? Oh, Jeremy Ironman. I wanted to correct you. It's not Mississippi State. It's Missouri State, which is uh, the, oh, Missouri the State. alma mater of uh, Jake Berger, poor kid who keeps on tearing up his ah. uh, Achilles. Not to not to, not to to bring up our Achilles. Ah, pun, pun, funny. Yeah. Anyway, he's got, uh, he's got <laughs> MLB bloodlines, though. His dad was a former... Uh, uh, Red Sox uh, farmhand. I think his brother actually might be in the race system somewhere. Um, he's hit pretty well in college, but the one knock I wanted to bring up, and I segue nicely by bringing up the Cape Cod League and uh, Steely Walker's success there, he has had zero success with Wood. Ironman has really, really struggled. Uh, I don't know if you realize in two stints in the Cape Cod League the last couple of summers, he hit 185, 258. 277 um with the usa baseball he didn't hit 125 182 225 with 25 uh 25 strikeout rate so uh that's a concern uh with a college kid 
that hits, you know, with metal and doesn't necessarily hit with wood and has had ample opportunity to sort of show that maybe that can improve. Maybe it's just a small sample size that I'm reading into a little bit. But when I see these guys that struggle with wood, struggle, struggle on the Cape, it worries me a little bit, uh, particularly from a fantasy perspective, because he's not going to have the defensive value sort of boost him back up, which uh, might be a big factor for a middle infielder with teams. Absolutely. I think that's something I did omit in terms of my analysis of Ironman, and that's a very good point because another guy, if you look back two months ago, Seth Beer was in the first round, and then uh. everyone started to realize that he has not performed at all with Woodbat, and he turns into kind of like a – I'm forgetting the name of the guy that everyone goes to for, for not performing with Will Woodbat. Craig. Um, uh, Will Craig. Yeah, there it is. There it is. Absolutely. But, uh, but yeah, no, that's a very good point. I think that you see a lot of correlation in Cape success too. Bohm hit really, really well in the Cape, and uh, he's obviously way up there, and there's a bunch of other guys um, – it's interesting too. I remember I was looking back actually at my notes from what I what I took when I was down at that Cape All Star game, and a lot of those guys are like second, third round guys now. So I have some weird like I really like this kid from Stanford, Chris Bubick. There's a couple other guys too. Yeah, those I, are the great I saw guys. Know about really liked, but uh, everybody knows about yeah, these guys. Funny. I feel it's really like because cool. we're covering them, they're easy to read about. If you read the top of the Baseball America list and you can sort of speak to it, yeah, everyone knows these guys. But it's those second, third round guys, especially if you've gotten looks at them. You know their college background. Maybe there's something funky, an injury, you know, a cold streak. You know, their their dog died at the wrong time. You know, their girlfriend was sleeping with a catcher. We don't know. <laughs> there could be all these things. These are people. This isn't Westworld. These aren't robots. It's not. It's not Westworld or robots. We'll bring up a, a one guy. Uh, we'll skip. I, I, I got three more guys on this list. I can run to super, super quick, and then you can yeah. give thoughts you, on if you, you run, want. One of them you I have to admit. Quick. You, I have to you know save these for the guys. End. You know these guys, particularly Noah Naylor. I'll let you go, and then uh, let's get out of here. It's almost yeah. 39. I'm about to pass out. Awesome. <laughs> I know. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. So first one's Grayson Janice, another guy out on the Cape, hit relatively well. He's fallen a little bit in terms of uh, his stock. He gets the the big left-handed back comp. He's like 6'4", 210. Uh, I hate to say it, but I actually see a little bit of Lucas Duda aesthetically, which which is probably something that everyone's going, oh, God, no. But uh, he actually is relatively mobile for his size. Um, and I just hate bringing up that dude account. Now everyone has the image of Grayson Janista being Lucas Duda. So I apologize for that. You're no longer going to draft him in your first player draft. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> Xavier Edwards is, is a very different kind of hitter. I think he's about four inches shorter and probably about 40 pounds lighter. Uh, middle infielder out of Florida. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, Edwards is a guy I think is another one who's kind of kicked up in some in some teams. Um boards in terms of just the kind of guys that teams like uh, the twins have drafted in the past and maybe even i think the yankees enjoy some of these middle infielder kind of toolsy guys with some speed really good speed very very good defensive instincts with xavier edwards and then the final guy i have to i have to bring up because i know he's his stock has increased considerably in the last couple months is noah naylor the brother uh. of josh naylor really good buddy of mine richard burfer um, works with Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network, is a really good friends with a lot of these guys up in Canada. He's good friends with both the Pompe- Pompey brothers, butchering that right now. Obviously, everyone remembers Tristan Pompey from a while ago. Um, and uh, um, he's really good. He knows Noah Naylor relatively well. He's on a texting basis, I believe, with him. He shot me messages of him texting Noah Naylor, which I'm obviously extremely jealous of. But uh, he he speaks volumes about Noah Naylor in terms of this kid's skill set. One of the better and most underrated hit tools probably in this draft. I've seen him in the comp round of some of some uh, drafts, but I've also I've seen his name. If you uh, if you go to the Fangraphs page in terms of their most recent mock and, and what they're tossing out there, and you just control F Naylor, you see him being associated with so many other teams that it's a matter of I'm really interested to see if if he is a guy who gets overslot in terms of value that a team maybe like the Royals or 
um, one of these other huge pocket teams in terms of money go after just based on what he does. But Noah Naylor is a guy with an extremely, extremely polished left-handed swing. Um, he played some shortstop. I know there's some body concerns. His fielding isn't too, too great, but he played unbelievably well in the perfect game too back in last year in San Diego. He threw out two runners, really, really good arm behind the plate. I think some people maybe even want to consider him a, uh, a third baseman, which would, for me, tick up that fantasy value a lot. For fantasy, I don't know how much there is there if he's a catcher, and I know there's a lot of head development that has to go on, so it could obviously stunt his time in terms of uh, turnaround for him. But um, really interested in Naylor. The hit tool is fantastic here. Probably one of the most underrated, I would say, hit tools in the draft. I know there's a lot of other guys who are getting the hit tool, um, obviously blown up a lot, but uh, but Naylor is just super, super underrated in his bat-to-ball ability, the loud contact he produces, and even some of the power I think some people see coming with him. So, whew, that's about it. It's 17-ish guys there I think we went to, Ralph. Uh, this, nice. feels, this feels pretty good. Plus the 5x5 five five and the guys in the game. We've covered pretty Plus much the 30 five players. Plus the 5x5, man. Whew. Oh, my God. Love it. Rise Prospect Podcast, as always, is giving you guys some content here. Any parting words, Ralph? Another week. More MLB stuff to talk about next week. We'll do some pictures. Hope you guys enjoyed. And uh, I have a feeling we're going to be learning a lot about these players, and we're probably going to be really wrong about some of the things that we said tonight because if there's <laughs> oh, anything absolutely. that makes you feel dumb, it's, <laughs> it's, inevitable. it's projecting amateur players into the MLB draft and then how they're going to end up. But uh, really exciting names. I like this draft a lot. So uh, thanks for tuning in, guys. Another week in the books. Progressive presents Married to Your Home. I'm disgusting. Oh, house, don't say that. You could live someplace so much better than me. That's not true. Oh, yeah? Look at these uneven stairs. Gross. House, you know I don't care. Ugh, and the squeaky door hinge. I think it's cute. No matter how much you already love your house, you'll love it more knowing you could save big bundling your home and auto with Progressive. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations.